0: This is a show for grown-ups.
1: And they say bad words.
0: And they say bad words.
1: Say final warning.
0: Final warning.
1: Hello, and welcome to another spooky episode of the Pod of Blunders. I'm Nate, spooky nickname goes here, Magnusky, your Dungeon Master. And with me is Richard Serpentine Sullivan. Now that sounds like a sex thing. Regular Richard Sullivan. Hello! (laughs) Well, this sounds ridiculous when you do it. Never mind. And here's my lovely wife, Jenna Peterson Magnusky.
2: Hey, or whatever. (laughs)
1: that's the kind of energy you can always expect from the pod of blunders (laughs) we're not playing one of our normal indie games that we've been playing recently today we're playing trail of cthulhu specifically we're playing the adventure the dance in the blood by one mr graham walmsley so i think we should start by introducing our characters why don't we start with my lovely and talented richard
0: my name is dr michael laws my work in medicine is an extension of my love for people Admittedly, I've never been a bookish sort, and I would claim to be academically competent rather than brilliant. Nevertheless, my bedside manner is excellent. I can put people at ease with a few words. That's what I consider makes me a great doctor, and quite frankly, bloody good at my job. My love for humanity extends to those around me. Geoffrey, my brother, is consistently in my life. Cynthia is my greatest comfort, although I must admit I have not been entirely faithful nevertheless i would do nothing to hurt the people close to me although i practice in new york i have come to keswick for a welcome weekend away perhaps i'll walk a little inevitably i will haunt the bar and one never knows whom i might meet perhaps i will find a young lady that would certainly help the week passed pleasantly when i get back i will see those i love i must call jeffrey since i have not seen him in a while for the moment though My time is my own, and I intend to explore this little
1: area. Jen, why don't you introduce your character next?
2: My name is Rosa Allen. It has been said you are a plain woman. This is perhaps true, although you resent being judged on that alone. You are also highly intelligent and, when someone gets to know you, loyal and loving. Yet what people remember is a large and brash woman. This saddens you. You are a successful antiques dealer living in Brooklyn. Your clientele consists of well-heeled locals, mostly middle-aged women, and knowledgeable collectors who travel great distances to view your latest stock. As a woman in the backbiting world of antiquarians, you've become bullish and tenacious. Shouting in auctions has made you strident. You are conscious too of being a couple of rungs lower on the class ladder than your clients, which adds a defensiveness to your character. Yet, despite your exterior, you are a deeply loving person. Your sister Priscilla is the dearest thing in your life. Your relationship with your mother, who lives with Priscilla, is also close. Above all, you are proud of getting things done. You are in Keswick for an antiques fair at which you expect to fight dealers down to bargain prices. When you know what you want, those who stand in your way are doomed to fail.
1: So a little note, uh, this game was written to take place in England, but I don't want to do a bevy of terrible accents, and nor do I want to subject you all to that, so we moved it to the Americas. So we're all in New York in this game. Jenna and Richard, or should I say Rosa and Michael, how did you get here? How did you come to Keswick? I think we'll come by train. Okay, so the train took you as far as Auburn, and then the rest of the way you had to take a bus. The entire time you've been coming in, the rain's been coming down in sheets. It's made visibility very low. Uh, On the way in, you've seen a lot of prairie land, uh, very hilly, not very built up, very sparse the further you get from the city. The hills are rolling. They almost seem alien the way they come up out of the fog and the rain, they they loom. Trees seem to, to sway in a breeze that you can't feel. And as you arrive in Keswick, you see that it's a small town overlooking the lake, Your hotel is the Blackstone Hotel. You've driven all day, you've checked in, and now you find yourself in the bar. What are you doing in the bar?
0: I'm going to the bar to order a drink and look for loose women.
2: Can't imagine that Rosa would be a big drinker as a single woman traveling alone.
1: Sure. The restaurant's also here, so you could always be having a coffee or a dinner.
2: Yes, that sounds more my speed.
1: Sure. This hotel looks like it was once... A decent place. You know, they had lush carpets, beautiful bright yellow wallpaper. Uh, Rosa, you have a good eye for the antiques in the room. They're artifacts from the town's earlier times, a lot of old farm implements, that sort of thing. But everything here is it's faded. Everything here looks like it's been weathered or beaten down. The wallpaper is peeling around the the edges. Stains don't bother, haven't been bothered to be cleaned up off the walls. The carpet's worn and thin, faded. Everything's coated in a relatively fine layer of dust and the gas lanterns have been turned down oddly low. So the shadows seem to seep out of the corners. One thing of interest is the wall covered in photographs of the people from the town of large happenings, harvest festivals, that sort of thing, weddings, births, the entire walls are just coated in these pictures. So Richard, you go up to the barman. He looks very bored. He's reading a book. He puts it down and says, what can I get you? Gin and tonic, please. You care about the gin?
0: Whatever's handy, sir.
1: Perfect. He grabs a nearby glass. It's the wrong kind of glass for gin and tonic. He pours the tonic, splashes the gin, throws an ice cube on afterwards, shoves it in your hand and says, can I keep a tab open? Yes. So he goes back to reading, nods at you, and kind of shushes you away with his hand. He sits back down with his book and starts reading again.
2: I'm going to look at the pictures.
1: You have a fairly well-trained eye for photography. You recognize, you know, these come from the very earliest daguerreotypes and tintypes, all the way to modern things. Some of these pictures are only a few years old. one catches your eye in particular. It shows a family, a man and a woman, standing in front of their middle-class house with three children. One of the children particularly interests you. It says Rosa, and it has the age of four written next to it and you recognize that this is you in this picture but you do not recognize anybody else in this picture huh now i'm going to ask you to give me a stability check
2: so i'm rolling d6 and i yep. want to get what
1: a four five or a six you can also spend stability to help us out
2: i got a four uh,
1: hey there you go so she said
2: it was three kids middle class family i'm in it but i don't know anybody else
1: yep and this is a picture that you do not recognize. You've never seen a picture of yourself this young before. You appear to be about four years old.
2: I'm going to ask the barkeep about the photograph and the family.
1: Michael, you see a woman kind of step back from the picture looking a little shocked, turns around and and steps over to the bartender pushing past you rather brusquely. And the bartender looks up and goes, "Uh, can I help you, ma'am?
2: That picture on the wall... And like now I'm gesturing to a whole wall full of pictures and probably not being helpful. Uh, tell me about that family.
1: So Michael, you see this woman point to this picture and you kind of look over and you catch something strange in the image. You stand up and look over and there's, you recognize two of the people in this picture. It's you, slightly younger than the woman in the picture. It says Michael, age three. And then your brother, Jeffrey, age five. But you don't know these people besides you two, but you're definitely in this picture. And Richard wrote me a stability check, please. Five. Hey, you're not shooken by this at all. Rosa, you said you went up to the bartender and asked who this family was? Yes. Kind of looks up from his book a little briefly and goes, I have no idea. There's a lot of pictures.
2: Can I take it off the wall to look at are it? You,
1: are you asking me or him?
2: the barkeep
1: good i prefer you didn't
2: i'm gonna do it anyway because apparently i'm a brash lady there
1: you go you have this picture in your hands and michael what are you doing here ma'am forgive
0: me but i can't help but notice that i'm in this picture and that doesn't seem quite right to me if you would I, i have a bit of a background in photography uh
1: do you mind if i took a look
2: I am too distracted by the fact that I'm, I'm looking for markings on the back of, of the picture.
1: Not on the back of the picture itself, but I think uh, Michael has a background in photography, as you said. I think he's able to gently take it from you. He slides the photograph out of the frame and he sees that it says Manesty on the back. And it says Waring Family,
2: 1901. Okay, so Manesty?
1: Manesty, M-A-N-E-S-T-Y. It's the name of a town nearby.
2: Is it daytime?
1: It's around 8.30 at night. You got to put that picture back or what, says the barkeep.
2: I'm going to take it back from Michael and gingerly reassemble it and and put it back.
1: Is your curiosity satisfied now? Are you done disassembling my bar?
2: No, no thanks to you.
1: Mm -hmm. He goes back to reading.
2: How far away is Manesty?
1: He sighs heavily, puts down his book, walks to the door, in a show of extreme effort, picks up one of the road atlases, walks back to you, hands it to you, and says, that'll be five cents.
2: In a show of great effort, (laughs) I'm going to dig through my purse, take out a nickel, and throw it at him.
1: (laughs) He looks down, sighs, and walks away from it goes back to his book. Well, if you we have any questions, he says, without looking at you anymore, ask somebody else. So opening the map, you see Amnesty is, it's on the shore of one of the lakes nearby. It's pretty much the exact opposite of where you are on the lake. So there's a ferry service, you, you come to find out, that will take you across the water. Or if you prefer, you can take one of the coastal roads around the lake. not tonight it's very dark and you've already paid for these rooms
2: i was gonna say you seem very calm for someone who has apparently just met a previously unknown cousin
0: well i rolled a high sanity so i'm not shook at all (laughs) well no i was just saying that i don't know you from adam my brother's also in this photo he's older i assume
1: you guys are very closely aged brothers
0: i'd like to find a phone and call my brother jeffrey see what he knows of this
1: Sure, the barkeeper uh, hands you the phone and says, it's local only unless you want to pay for it, but I'll just add it to your tab, so go for it, buddy. So you pick up the phone, the operator answers. Phone rings and rings and rings, and then no one ever picks up. Rosa, is there anything you want to do before bed?
2: Um, I just wanted to look at the adjacent pictures and see if there were any other people that occur in multiple pictures or are connected somehow to any of the other ones around it
1: uh there are you recognize the man and the woman
2: in the same picture
1: no you see a picture of their wedding day when they're of course you know younger about six years earlier before your picture then you see one later on surely it looks like maybe 10 years after the picture with you in it and it's just the man by himself looking uh older he's standing in front of the house it's like he's standing next to like a newer car that he's purchased
0: is there an address on this house
1: there is. It's uh, There is an address for the Waring Residence in Manistee, Jack and Victoria, 225 Applewhite Street, Manistee, New York.
2: Um, excuse me, sir. Um, I found more pictures that match with the one that we're in. Show me. The first one that I found is when the two married, and then there's the picture with us in it, and then a few years later... There's a picture of just him in front of this house, and it says 225 Applewhite.
0: Ma'am, I don't want to seem like I'm overstepping my bounds. Are you by any chance adopted?
2: I'm close with my mother and my sister. I've never been told I was adopted. I guess I never thought to ask.
0: The same with me, ma'am.
2: And I put out my hand like a forward woman.
0: I can see by the look of panic in your eyes when looking at this photo, you must be Rosa. And I am Michael, one of the two boys in this photograph. The other is my brother, Jeffrey, who I just tried to reach by telephone, but with no luck.
2: Well, I suppose we can't do any more research on any of it tonight. No clerk's office will be open and we can't travel there. So as you said, we may want to make plans to go tomorrow. I'm going to fix a hair that's fallen out of my my bun just so it's like a nervous fidget
1: mm, characterization work on here nice and michael adjusts his large pizza cutter thing on his forehead <laughs> what is that thing called i have no idea pizza cutter thing i think we got it right
0: doctor doctor pizza, cutter. pizza cutter. <laughs> no
2: it's a head mirror a simple diagnostic advice stereotypically worn by physicians, but less so in recent decades as they have become somewhat obsolete.
1: That's a dumb name. So now, because we educated and entertained, we're liable for some grants. Yay! <laughs> so you both retire to your rooms. Did any of you spring for good rooms or are you just kind of slumming it? <laughs> this is not a nice place. It was, but it's not anymore.
2: I'm going to try to call my mother and see what she knows of this family. Hopefully she hasn't retired to bed yet. I'll tell you what she said in the morning.
1: So the phone rings once or twice and before Priscilla picks up in her usual cheery tone. Hello?
2: Priscilla, is Mother there?
1: Uh, Yes. uh, Rosa, what's the matter?
2: It's so strange. I saw a picture here that looks exactly like me.
1: A picture? Aren't you in that Keswick place? Let me me get Mother. Hold on. You hear a kind of a tired-sounding woman. "Uh, Hello? Mama? Oh, yes, dear. It's good to hear your voice. How was your trip?
2: Mama, what can you tell me about the Waring family?
1: And the phone goes quiet. You can still hear her breathing. Oh, um, I was worried you would find out this when you went there. You always have your nose in history. But some history is best left uh, undisturbed, dear.
2: I met a man here that's also in the picture, Mama.
1: She sighs. She goes, was it Michael or Jeffrey? How do you know? You hear your kind of step on. She goes, you're, you're adopted, dear. Michael and Jeffrey are your brothers. That doesn't mean we love you any less. You're always our daughter. You've always been our daughter. And this doesn't change anything. I'm still your mother. Priscilla is still your sister.
2: How did you even find me?
1: Your your birth mother put you up for adoption in the city. Your father and I didn't think we could conceive, and so we adopted you. We weren't able to take your brothers. We couldn't provide for all of you, but we could provide for one of you. But from what I understand, your brothers, they, they turned out well. I know one is a doctor. We've we tried to keep tabs on all of you, but... We just never had a good time to tell you the truth, and then it became too late. We didn't want to, to burden you with this. I'm sorry.
2: Michael and I are going to Manistee tomorrow.
1: I feel I, sh- I should say something before you go to prepare you. You won't meet your birth mother. You, you may meet your father, but shortly after she put you up for adoption, your birth mother killed herself. Why? I don't know. Why does anyone do something like that? Something was wrong. She was sick. I'm sorry. Good night, Mama. Good night, dear. So I would like you to roll stability for me, because you just found out that your family, who's a source of your stability, is not your birth family. they still your family. And that
2: my actual birth mother killed herself.
1: Yeah, you can roll. Since they happen to the same scene, you'll only roll for one.
2: I rolled a three. Well, the source
1: of stability wasn't killed, so I don't think it's a six. I think this is either a two or a three. I'm leaning towards three because of the dual shock of your birth mother killed herself after putting you up for adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, and your source of stability is not what you knew them to be. Right. So I'm leaning towards three. And if you go below zero, you become shaken. And between six, negative six and negative 11 is blasted. And then beyond negative 11, you are permanently insane. What are your rooms like? I
2: imagine that again, it's somewhat shabby because you had mentioned before that the bar was showing some signs of wear and tear. It might have been nice once, but that it needed some attention. Faded wallpaper and a sun-bleached quilt.
0: And Richard, Um, is your room much the same? Much the same. I've discovered there's no indoor plumbing. There's an outhouse out back.
1: (laughs) I Mm -hmm. wasn't really woodsy for 1935.
0: (laughs) The whole room smells of kerosene. I struggle to find my bed, discovering when I open a closet, it's actually a Murphy's bed.
1: (laughs) So despite this, the weariness of your travels and the odd revelations, you manage to settle down and fall asleep fairly quickly. The town is dark and quiet fairly early. The bar below doesn't really attract rabble, so the hotel falls asleep at the same time, really. But you have strange dreams. Michael, in your dream, you're lying down, and there's a familiar comforting smell all around you, although you cannot place it. Then you realize the smell is soil. You feel enclosed, safe, and warm. When you open your eyes, you see only soil. And when you open your mouth, soil rushes in, yet you can still breathe. You are not scared. You sink deeper and deeper into the earth, feeling safer and safer. And I'd like you to give me a stability check. Two. You lose three stability. You sit both upright in bed gasping for air, and there's a small, odd part of you that is upset that your mouth is full of air. And over to Rosa. Rosa, you're standing inside of a stone circle on a hill, others dancing around you with bizarre, ritualistic movements, whirling as they hold their arms horizontally. You recognize Michael is one of these people, a man lying face down, prostrate, beside an open grave in front of you. In your hand is a curved ancient knife of strange metal, glows as you turn it into the dim moonlight, pink, then gold, then green. You know what you must do. You lean down and grab the back of the man's hair and slice his throat, and then make two deep cuts on his shoulders and his calves with these graceful, practiced diagonal cuts. This is right. You wake up. It's the morning.
2: I assume I'm rolling for sanity, because in my dream, I just killed somebody.
1: I prefer you did. I got a four. I'm strangely okay with this. I'm assuming you just attribute it to, you know, there has been so many shocks, you're bound to have strange dreams. Yes. You meet back in the hotel lobby, I assume, or the bar, get some breakfast? Yes. Michael, are you there already? Who came down first?
0: I came down first. I couldn't sleep. I was
1: too shook from last night. Mm. Rosa, you know something about Michael that Michael doesn't know yet. So
2: I will... Walk over to his table, do you mind?
1: No, not at all,
0: please.
2: So I'll have a seat and put my put my bag gingerly next to me on the table. I was able to get through to my mother last night. She said that that our mother put us up for adoption in the city and that she could take me, but she couldn't take you and Jeffrey.
0: Maybe this afternoon we could meet our mother.
2: No. She said that Victoria's mother killed herself shortly after she gave us up for adoption. I'm sorry.
0: So I think I should roll for that one.
2: Yeah, because it sounds like you knew that you were adopted and that maybe this was something you were hoping for.
1: Four. You're good. I think you can be upset without having it destabilize you, you know?
0: Yeah, I guess in the back of my mind, I always figured it was something like that.
1: The bartender walks up to your table, looks at you, puts down, or refills your coffees, and says... You both look terrible.
2: How rude. But right, I didn't sleep well.
1: The beds not to your liking, your majesty?
2: No, of course not. I just, I had a bit of a shock and the travel was, was rough. Nothing to do with the room. Thank you.
1: He kind of looks at you seriously and nods. And you could tell, like, you didn't rise to his jab like he thought you would. So he kind of walks over behind the bar, comes over and pours a little thumb of whiskey into your coffee and says, that'll aid your constitution if you'll forgive me. And uh, he kind of nods seriously and walks away. And that's about the height of kindness he can show to another person. <laughs> Is there anything you want to do before you leave or anything else wise, asking before you head off to Manistee?
0: I just want to hit the road.
2: Yeah, or, I mean, at this point, we don't really have any indication that there's more information here, specifically.
1: So how are you getting there? By train, plane, or automobile? Didn't you say there was a ferry that would take us there? Yeah, that counts as the so strange. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh,
0: I think we'll take the ferry to, to Manistee as soon as possible.
1: So you see one's leaving the next hour. Buying tickets is no issue. You, you're some of the only people on board. Uh, there's a few farm animals being transported across the water. Honest thing, though, is there's just static playing over the radio. You look around and no one else seems to notice this. You both hear static playing. And it's just loud. It's droning. It's almost as loud as the white noise of the waves. It's just static. When you look around, you see there's an old woman sitting uh, a few rows away from you, and she's just tapping her foot lightly to some unheard song. Otherwise than that, the journey passes without much issue. You pull into port, you see the town of Manesty. So the village itself is even smaller than the one you just came from. It's all constructed out of local gray slate, and it appears very grim and foreboding. It doesn't seem as old as the village you came from. It seems old enough. Something about it seems like it hasn't been weathered as much as the other locale. It's hemmed in by rough countryside. It's all angles and jagged stone. And above Manistee, there's two sets of rolling hills flanking the town. Not much greenery to speak of, just more, some shrubs, some little scrub grass, a few trees here and there, a very rocky area. It just seems very bleak and deserted. And the only sign of human life in there is a few cow paths and goat paths, and listing we'll some abandoned mines. The local inn someone directs you to is called the Leeward Inn. And he says, if you have any questions, you'll find someone there who can answer them.
2: Well, I guess we should hope that the innkeeper here is a little bit more forthcoming than ours.
1: It's a short walk from the docks to the, the inn. Uh, the sign outside is faded and cracked. And inside you find a cold, dark bar where a few villagers are drinking oddly early in the morning. The bar is presided by a very suspicious looking woman. She goes, what can I get you? Rooms? Food? drink no ma'am just
0: some information what can you tell us about the wearing family on Applewhite street
1: she kind of looks down her significant nose at you and says that's town business who are you why are you asking about the wearings
0: uh, i think we've agreed that i'm going to use my flattery <laughs> okay i mean i i have uh interrogation i could tie her to a chair and hook a battery to her nipples but I don't think Nate will let me do that. Uh, so using my flattery, I will say, uh, you know, ma'am, we came here because we were told that you were the smartest woman in town, and if we had any questions, that you knew more than even the the mayor of this town. And these people wouldn't be lying now, would they? So she
1: kind of blushes and says, oh, well, the wearings are here. Well, it's just Mary at this point, no, since Jack disappeared. So, uh, about six years ago. You should hear this from Mary. I, I don't think it's right for me to talk about it. It's it's not my family. Mary still lives at the old house up on Applewhite.
2: Thank you so much, ma'am.
1: You know, it's strange. We don't get many visitors here, but, you know, you are, you're the second out-of-towners we've had in the past week. It's, it's strange.
2: Who else was here?
1: Uh, another man. Uh, I didn't catch his name, but he, he is staying here. He should be down, I imagine, for breakfast soon. He'd between you and me, I don't want to sound like a busybody, but he's a bit of a late riser. He looks unwell. He doesn't look well at all. You overhear one of the farmers. He's lamenting the fact that one of his pigs just went plumb up and missing. He had it. He, he fed him that evening. He shot the barn. Next day, barn's empty. No sign of anything. Pig's gone. Can't figure it out. And later on, you see a man walk down the stairs looking gray. Like his skin doesn't quite fit him anymore. Like he's lost a lot of weight recently, and uh, he looks nervous, moving slow though. And Michael, you recognize him. This is Jeffrey. This is your brother. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. He looks over and rushes over, and he hugs you, and he feels cold to you. You can hear him as he hugging you, start sobbing. He's Michael. I don't. I don't feel good, Michael
0: what's wrong? Why, why are you even here? You're, you're supposed to be home in New York.
1: He looks around and goes, not here. Please uh, come with me. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm terribly rude. Uh, my name is Jeffrey. And he holds out his hand. to Shake your hand, Rosa. Jeffrey from the picture. The picture? And
2: I, I reach back out to him.
1: He's He looks at you confused and says, the picture? And he shakes your hand and you feel it's almost as if the skin on his fingers don't quite fit. Almost like it's a loose feeling... Cold glove. He says, "Please make your acquaintance." Uh, I'd I'd rather not talk here. Please uh, follow me. I I am staying here. I have a room.
2: I'm gonna Eddie. look at Michael because, who
0: And I give her the nod, like he's cool. He's cool. <laughs> he's not a narc. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Jeffrey brings up to his room. It's a nicer room than you have. Just saying, your room sucks. And he says, "I don't know how I got here." He sits down on his bed. And he just, just you to sit wherever chairs.
2: I'm not going to sit. I'm, I'm too uneasy. I'm
1: I'm playing with the clasp on my purse. And uh, Michael, you notice that he keeps touching his wrist and shaking his head and rocking and then touching his wrists and, t- and then touching his neck and rocking, crying and saying, I don't feel good. I don't feel right. And holding his head.
0: Jeffrey, let, let me examine you. And I want to use my medicine. Sure. Which is a plus two.
1: So he, he holds out his wrist to you. You put your wrist, your fingers to it, and you wait. You feel no pulse. Touch his neck. You feel no pulse. You put your hand to your head, and feel warmth. You put your hand to Jeffrey's head. Feel room temperature at best. As far as you can tell, clinically. Your brother is dead. Stability check. Yes. Two. Five stability. Brutal. I don't feel good. I can't get my pulse. I'm not sleeping. I don't have to eat anymore. I just don't feel good. Jeffrey,
0: how, how long have you been like this?
1: Since I got here. It's been like a week.
0: And you have no idea how you got here whatsoever. What was the last thing you remember?
1: I had a little fever, I thought. And I had the strange dreams of people dancing and I fell asleep and I woke up here and I, I didn't have a suitcase but I've, I've managed to, to get some clothes and I, I live here, I guess. Um, the people are nice. I don't know why I'm here.
2: I'm going to say I need to do a sp- stability check because he said that he was having strange dreams about dancing on the hill. And that was my
1: dream.
2: Yeah. I got a two.
1: Yeah, no, I'm going to say you lose two stability.
2: Okay, so now I'm at stability five.
1: He kind of looks up. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't mean to frighten you. Uh, it's just these dreams. It was a stone circle and people dancing. and I was lying down in the dirt. You recognize him now, Rosa. You recognize him as a man on the dirt. From your dreams, the one you cut, it talks about rolling into the dirt and sinking into the into the ground.
2: So now that's your dream.
0: That's my. I was going to say that's my dream. I think I get a roll another stability.
1: Go for it. Four. You're fine. Maybe you're thinking there's some kind of mass hallucination or
0: right. There's a rational, reasonable explanation for all of this i assume jeffrey Jeffrey doesn't know what we know at this point
1: i mean he keeps
2: calling me ma'am i assume he doesn't know who i am
0: jeffrey we're here because on my vacation we saw a picture with us as children and this is rose who you've met she's in the picture as well and we know where our family comes from and it's it's this town we're adopted I thought you knew, Jeffrey.
1: I, I mean, I always assumed. we. I guess a part of me thought that that couldn't be so. And they live here? In Manistee? Well, what's left of our family?
0: We're on their way to our childhood home to meet the last surviving member of our family.
1: We can't quite process this. You can see he's just shaking his head. and I don't feel well, Michael. I, if you'll forgive me, I, I'll stay here while you go.
0: We'll be back as soon as we can and and we'll bring
1: medicine. Yes, of course. I know. I can count on you, Michael.
2: Let's get you tucked in, dear.
1: Ah, yes, Rosa. (laughs) Sister, I suppose.
2: (laughs) You'll be warm soon.
1: Yes, very good. He kind of settles down. He looks out the window and just stops. He's just looking out the window. That's it. And now you've met Jeffrey. Yay! Spooky.
2: So, so far, I found out that I'm adopted by accidentally meeting my brother, found out <laughs> that in the course of finding out that I was adopted, also that my mother is dead, met my zombie brother, found out that our father is also probably dead, and that there's another mystery person who I'm probably related to. Perfect.
1: <laughs> so where to now, gang?
0: Say so we get to that house.
2: And, and as we walk, I'm going to say that I'm I'm distractedly glancing up at the hill on the on the way over.
1: You don't see any standing stones on the hill near you, which I suppose is reassuring. You ask some locals the directions, and they're able to give you a, a decent enough place. Um, it's a few miles out. You can hop on the back of a cart heading that way if you'd like, or you can walk up to you.
2: I feel the need to walk.
1: The path up the road to the Waring House is strangely familiar, you feel like you recognize things. You feel like you recognize a mile marker here or an old stone wall and a crumbling barn there, but you chalk it up to just looking for something familiar in these unfamiliar areas. And then you see the house, it's a medium cottage. It's gray. Your feet crunch up the uh, gravel driveway and
0: that sound
1: sparks something in you, some kind of old memory further back than any other memory you've had you've you've walked these grounds before you've seen this house and you know that you know that to be true just as you know that as soon as that door is open the wallpaper inside will be yellow with a tulip design Somewhere in your knowledge you walk up to the door and you knock on it
2: do we feel reassured by the memory or unsettled by it
0: I'm not up to you i think everything thus far is very unsettling
2: well, yeah, but that's what it, it would strike me as like interesting if that was a calming, th- you know, like, oh, everything has been weird about this, but somehow this is better. I guess it dep- it would depend on what kind of life we had there, which I don't know yet. Which doesn't
0: seem like it was a great one.
2: Yeah. I mean, our entire family fell apart. So, yeah. yeah.
0: So I- I'm going to say that it's unsettling.
1: Okay. Well, you knock on the door and a woman in her Mid to late forties, answers, she looks tired. And you see behind her, there's yellow wallpaper, faded. Much more faded than in your memories with a faint tulip pattern. And she goes, uh, can I help you? And why don't you both roll stability checks for me given that the wallpaper matches your memory.
2: I got a six. I'm so okay with this, you don't even know.
1: Good, yes, wallpaper,
0: excellent.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Finally, something went the way I expected.
0: I rolled a six as well. I'm
1: even more okay with (laughs) it. You like told you there's a fucking wallpaper. What? This woman greets you. Hello. Can I help you? Ma'am, are you Mary Waring? Yes. Something wrong. You hear a little voice behind her. What is it, mommy? Yeah, what is it? Says another voice. And you look, and there's two identical blonde haired little girls about the age of 10. She's nothing. Go back in the house.
2: Does she look like us, uh, the kids?
1: The kids, let's say you could be half siblings because that's what you are.
2: I'm so sorry, ma'am, Not, now that we're here, I just, all of, all the words flew right out of my head. My name is Rosa Allen, well, I suppose Rosa Waring.
1: So she kind of takes a step back, she goes, oh my God. She looks up at you too, Michael, and says, you're Jax, you're two of his children from his first marriage. Victoria, oh, please, please come in. I'm so sorry to be rude. And she steps out of the way and invites you into the home. And the home is small and dusty. And she cares for what she can, but you can tell the last few years have been very hard on her, being a single mother of two young girls. She sits you into the living room. And she says, I'll, I'll get you tea, please. Uh, make yourself comfortable. And you can hear the little girls in the background mm-hmm. listening to the radio. But the radio is static. Okay. Oh, why? Your eyes catch a uh, part of the door jam where you used to mark your heights. You can see your initials marked in there. And on the other side of them, you can see where the two little girls have their initials marked in the household that you didn't get to grow up in. And you see those two little girls listening to the radio. And every now and then, one of them leans in and whispers something into the radio and giggles. And the static just continues, crackling. Mary comes back and says, turn that radio down, please, girls. I guess I'm sure, can hardly hear what they're saying. Nobody wants to hear Cole Porter that loud. Please. And she says, two teacups in front of you.
2: I rub my temples and think maybe I should have had that whiskey.
1: And she says, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, you must have so many questions about your father and mother and everything. What what can I do for you?
2: I don't even know
0: what to ask. I guess I'd start with, our father is m- missing? Is it? is he presumed dead what happened
1: she goes I'm, I'm sorry you you have to forgive me i'm a very private person this information I, I feel i owe it to you he left six years ago without any explanation he was a loving man he looked for you at first and he couldn't find you of course victoria poor dear she couldn't tell him she she killed herself shortly after she put you up for adoption without his knowledge six years ago he he left that was it he just gone you know here we are
2: i'm going to dab at my eyes a little surprised that i'm feeling so emotional about something that i didn't even know was a thing until yesterday
0: yeah this is some heavy shit man
1: yeah right
2: did he tell you what happened to our mother
1: He just said she wasn't well. She one day drove you into the city and then they found her a few days later. He didn't tell me how she did it, but they found her in a hotel in New York. She didn't leave a note. I'm sorry, I don't have more information on Victoria. All I know is that everyone in town spoke well of her. They said she was a loving mother. She was a good person. She, she volunteered at the church and she helped out the elderly. She brought things to them and they were in need and this was very uncharacteristic. I've often wondered what drove her to this. And You always assume that, you know, oh, it's, the husband must be terrible, but I can say honestly, Jack was a blessing. He was an attentive father. He used to run the little schoolhouse for the children down the way. She kind of points out the window, and you can see a small one-room schoolhouse. He was a smart man, and I, I, I don't know what happened to him.
0: No, ma'am, we, we won't keep you any longer. We must be going.
1: Before you leave, I want you to know that we're not family, but this is your home. Your sisters are, are your family, I suppose. Uh, little Bethany and Liza, should you ever find yourself in Manistee again, we'd like it if you stopped by. Just don't be strangers. And she catches you both in a sudden embrace and she pulls herself away collecting herself quickly and she dabs at her face and goes, if you'll excuse me i i have to get lunch started and she rocks into the kitchen
2: it's so strange being here
1: you see a door to the the children's play area where they're playing listening to the radio and there's another door to a bathroom something catches your eye in the bathroom you notice a mirror the mirror is heavily scratched to where the man a person's face would be the face is almost entirely removed by scratches on the glass.
2: I guess I'll, I'll point it out to Michael quietly
0: because...
1: So, Michael, you go in there and soon you see there's two little girls standing behind you both. Hello. Hi there. Uh, what seemed to happen to your uh, your mirror? Oh, Mommy doesn't like to talk about it. And she said we were too young to remember. But she also told me that Daddy left because... And then the little other girl goes, Liza, no, we're not supposed to talk about that. Shut up! I know. Daddy left because he was having bad dreams. He didn't like his face anymore.
2: Oh, well, I I can see why your mother wouldn't want to talk about it. That sounds scary.
1: I think Daddy went crazy. And I just went, no, he didn't. He just had to go somewhere on an adventure. You don't know anything. She says, "Yes, I do too." And she pulls her hair, and they get into a tussle. Mary comes back into the room and says, "What's going on in here? You girls, leave our guests alone, please."
2: I I have a sister myself. Well, I have an adopted sister, I suppose. But we used to fight all the time also.
1: She kind of gestures you to come out of the bathroom. And she shuts the door tight behind you. And she goes, adopted or not, your family is still very important. And just because you're adopted doesn't mean they're any less important to you, dear. They chose you. And that's important. That's special. Don't forget that.
2: I think we'll be off to look around a little bit more. You understand this is all jarring. It's, it's strange to see places that look familiar, but you don't really remember them.
1: Of course, dear. If you have any questions about Jack or want to talk about old stories or anything, you're always welcome back.
0: Well, Rosa, how do you feel about heading to the schoolhouse?
2: Seems like the next step, I suppose.
1: So it's an unremarkable, disused building. On closer inspection, it's a tiny Victorian school. It says it has separate entrances, one for girls and one for boys. The building is not locked. So we are able to get in without any problem. It looks kind of like Chernobyl and that everything was just left one day. And not touched since so thick dust covers rows of wooden desks the blackboard behind cobwebs shows math equations weeds and moss are pushing through the flagstone floor out of the two of you i believe rose is the oldest yeah a year yeah i think you have more fleeting memories than michael does at this point and you feel you've been here before it just seems very small to you now and you're positive that the one desk up in the front is your desk or was your desk anyway You walk up, you lift the lid, and sure enough, you find your name scratched underneath in a childish version of your own handwriting.
2: I would like to look to see what is on the teacher's
1: desk. You find a note written by a child. And it says, it has a date six years ago. And it says, you are not here. We are going home. Come and get us when school starts. It seems no one's been here since the note was left. School never restarted. So Rosa... As you're looking around the desk, you find a book uh, tucked away in one of the drawers. And it's a book on the witch cult of the Finger Lake area. It's got puritanical tracts about, you know, the devil worshippers coming and all this. There's something called Castle Rig Stone Circle, which is marked on a map. And you recognize the area being a few short miles away from where you are now. That was the site of human sacrifices. Victims were buried alive. Excavations of the area never found any remains.
2: Is there anything else of interest that I can glean given my background?
1: Not from this book, but I think the general area, things are just interesting to you in the schoolhouse. You're digging through, you find uh, some of the children's exercise books. It looks like he, he tasked the student to write a report using this book, and they returned the report along with the book itself. He it talks about local legends, once again, burying the victim alive. They said there was dancing involved. Um, they cavorted under the moonlight, slay the victim and roll them into the dirt. They referenced some other sermons at the time, decrying the evils of the, of the pagans and the devil worshiping. And they talk about something called the, the, the fate of low menesty, but you don't understand what that means.
0: Don't you think we both ought to have a stability check after seeing what was in our dreams now in a journal?
1: That's why I wanted you to be able to direct that. And yes, I do think you should do that.
2: Yay. I got a three.
1: I got a one. <laughs> we are both losing two stability here.
2: Okay, uh, I'm not at stability three.
1: I'm at zero. I believe, Richard, that you're shaken. You can still do your job, but you seem distracted. You can't spend points from the pools of your investigative abilities. And all your difficulty numbers are increased by one. For you, shaken might be that you start fixating on strange things. You might develop a little bit of a tick. Something is just off about you now. This is all just a bit too much between your brother, your adoption, your new family, your lost family, and the mysterious circumstances of everything, and your dreams, the endless dream of swimming under the earth.
2: I've got a fun tick for you.
1: Okay, hit me.
2: Looking for your own pulse.
1: Ooh. Ooh.
0: I like that. I don't. I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) And then one time,
2: you can't find it, you just flip the fuck out.
0: (laughs) I think I would just go insane at that point.
1: (laughs) Ooh, that's really good, Jen. (laughs) Thank
0: you. So should I check it now?
1: Yeah, so I
0: check my own pulse.
1: It's a split second before your heart beats that you're terrified and then it beats. Thank God. I think there's also a part of you that desperately wants to check Rose's pulse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Every time I meet somebody, that's the first thing I'm doing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, at first, you're really good about hiding it as, like, shaking hands weird.
0: No, no, no. I go to, I'm like, I'm comforting you. Well, it seems that I'm comforting you. And I'm, like, rubbing your shoulder and put my hand, you know, on on yours reassuringly. But then I quickly move your wrist over and check. <laughs> I love it.
1: Yes you find a child's drawing it looks like a house crudely you know, drawn with this worm coming out of the ground looking into one of the windows a big worm and the story says once upon a time there was a little girl who lived in modesty and one day she found a gray slimy hand reaching through the earth and she didn't know what to do what is this she asked but her mummy and daddy did not know the next day she was walking through the woods and she saw a monster and it was all wormy and slimy and it smiled at her. The little girl went home and told her mummy and daddy but they did not believe her. Then the wormy slimy monsters under the earth came up that night and ate the little girl up and her mummy and daddy and they tore the house and ate its bricks. The end. So that is your beautiful schoolhouse.
2: So we have low We ha- We can go back to Jeffrey. I mm-hmm. want to go up on one of those hills though man. Okay. Like, I feel the need to be prove to myself that it's not really there.
1: Michael, are you are going with
0: her? I feel like yes, but I also feel like I'd want to get back to my brother. I mean, you can always split up. That's fine. Uh, but if that's what you got to do and you want to check out that stone thing, I don't think it's a good idea to go alone, but I have obligations to my brother.
2: I'll wait for you and go see what I can find at the library.
0: That I
1: think is wise. After these messages, will be right back. Richard, you return back to Jeffrey, much in the same way you found him. He's lying in the exact same position, looking out the exact same window, completely still. You notice that his chest is not rising or falling.
0: I'm checking my chest to see if it's
1: rising or falling as I breathe. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) It is. As you're looking at him, he turns to you and goes, oh, brother, you've returned. He's still not breathing. Did you bring the medicine?
0: Yes, Jeffrey, I, I brought the medicine. But I just give him like an aspirin that I had in my doctor's case. I know full well there's nothing I can give him. I don't even know what's wrong with him. But if it'll make him feel better in his mind, I'll just give him an aspirin.
1: So he he puts the aspirin in his mouth. He t- takes a glass of water and tries to drink it. And it looks like it's like not natural to him anymore to drink. Like he has to tilt his head back and like kind of like wait for gravity to do its thing and take the pill down with it. He kind of looks at you, and goes I, I don't know what to do.
0: You're beyond any help that I can give you alone. I think we better get
1: you to the hospital. Uh, the hospital is back in Keswick. Not a huge deal. It's a very short ferry ride back over. So the, the hospital itself is this big, dark, looming monstrosity of a building. It's the main medical center for the entire Lake area. So you know that by reputation, this is a very good hospital. As you check him into the front desk, you see the doctor comes by He introduces himself as Dr. Rochdale. He's an older man, very well-kept, very proper-looking, pristine white coat, big head pizza cutter, the biggest one you've ever seen. You know he's a good doctor. And he reaches over and shakes your hand and goes, hi, I'm Dr. Rochdale. What seems to be the problem today?
0: My brother seems to be exhibiting traits of, well, frankly, the the dead. As you can see, he clearly is not dead, but... I can't seem to find a pulse on him. As a matter of fact, wait. No, still have a pulse. I still have a pulse. So uh, He does not have a pulse. I clearly do. Clearly.
1: <laughs> um, Don't want to brag or nothing.
0: <laughs> but uh, I can't seem to find his. I didn't know if there was maybe something local that he could have gotten into to, to put him in this state. I was hoping you could help me diagnose him.
1: So he kind of looks at you like, okay, buddy. And he goes, well, um, you know, I'm sure you've done your best, but why don't we let a doctor make the judgments here?
2: Yeah, you never said you were a doctor. So you just sound even nuttier now.
0: Well, clearly I'm a doctor because I have a pizza cutter on my head. Not not as big as yours. <laughs> <laughs> but we're both wearing pizza cutters.
1: Uh, I can see you're a doctor from your pizza cutter in black, nondescript bag. <sighs> <sighs> right this way. <laughs> So he takes a wheelchair and wheels Jeffrey back into a private room. He gets him all set up in bed and asks the nurse to get various IVs and whatnot. He takes his pulse or tries to, several different areas. He asks the nurse to bring a syringe so he can draw blood. He tries to draw blood and he can't. He can't find the vein. He's able to stab Jeffrey in the arm. Jeffrey doesn't react, but he pulls nothing. He is, like, I, I can't understand it. And he kind of, a nurse, so give us the room. I'd like to speak with Dr. Laws here and the nurses gather their things and leave. Uh, Jeffrey, we'll be right back. Why don't you um, just rest, okay? And Jeffrey nods. So he takes you aside. I would love to say we've never seen this before, but, you know, I, I am somewhat of a of an antiquarian. I, I enjoy some of the more bizarre medical histories I've read, and I, I have seen something akin to what your your brother's exhibiting now. What is it? A similar case of uh, a woman by the name of Betty came into the hospital over a hundred years ago now exhibiting the same things no pulse no breath detected she she was dead but she was fully animate and conversational betty um betty wearing wearing yes what what happened to her well that's where it gets believe it or not even stranger it seems one night she disappeared she Towards the end, she she got rather violent. She had to be, uh, we couldn't sedate her, but they they tied her down as best they could to keep her from injuring herself or the staff. One day she disappeared. She just wasn't found. Gone. Out the window. Looks like she jumped. Now, she was on the third floor. If all like that, it should have killed her, but it didn't. We've never found the body. She was never seen again. I shouldn't have said anything. I don't want to frighten you or say that's what's going to happen to your brother. Of course, we don't know much i couldn't help but think of the similarities of the case you understand you're a man of, of science and i think you should roll a stability check there Richard. yeah i'm shook you have to roll a, a rule of five or above now two <laughs> <laughs> i believe you would lose i'm gonna say a well, three it sounds like a good number here
0: all right so now i'm at negative three stability
1: <laughs> yep we'll of course we'll, we'll keep good care of your brother um You're welcome to stay. Visiting hours don't apply. If anyone asks to say that you're a consulting doctor.
0: Well, thank you, doctor. And I shake his hand.
1: He shakes your hand.
0: And as I'm shaking his hand, I check for a pulse.
1: He's got a nice, strong pulse for an old man.
0: I feel somewhat relieved by that.
1: (laughs) And immediately check mine. (laughs) Yeah. Still a pulse. Still a pulse. So let's go back to Jenna at the library.
2: So I'm thinking that I'm looking for information on Old Manist.
1: It's confusing. You see, there's two sets of dates when you ever look up things on Low Manist. And the librarian herself is a very kind woman. And she's happy to help you. She's somewhat of a transplant herself. So she doesn't have the knowledge of a a long-time town librarian, unfortunately. But she says, well, oddly enough, you have two manistees um, before our current Manisties the non- uncreatively named Low Manesty, and an earlier one they called Lower Manistee. You find that Lower Manistee was destroyed. You find it through parish records using your library signs. It was destroyed in 1697. The whole village was razed; Even the buildings were torn apart. You find ecclesiastical correspondences from the area's bishop at the time decrying blasphemous devils tearing apart low man, lower manesty, And then in 1816, the newer manesty, but not the current version of many. So you find a volume of, of historical uh, lore explains uh, just a rash of deaths in 1816.
2: So I'm assuming that it must be some kind of plague. Sure. Because, you know, I, I can't psychologically cope with whatever. And the other one must have been a natural disaster that, you know, it's not possible that the buildings were literally
1: torn apart. She, uh, she says to you, you know what? You may find a local guy to take you to the ruins. They they do still exist. Of course, uh, they're they're on the shore. Low Manistee is built further inland than lower Manistee, which is built very close to the, the resources of the time. Who would that be? Eugene. There's a pig farmer named Eugene. Who's If you put enough liquor into him, he'll tell you anything. Some of it will even be true when she laughs. Yeah. She just tells you that um, Eugene can be found whenever he's not tending his pigs. He can be found at the hotel where you're staying. He frequents the bar.
2: So I'm, gonna, I'm assuming that was the guy who smelled before. Yep. Yep. And I'm going to go upstairs thinking I'm going to find Michael because I have no reason to think he's anywhere else.
1: Of course, Michael's not there. He didn't leave a note behind. You come back down, and Ada says, If you're looking for your friends, they, they left earlier. Mr. Laws seems in an awful way. I, I believe they were headed to Keswick. Doctor Laws will be back by dinner time. Oh, and here's Doctor Laws now. You both sit down at the table, or you go back to Jeffrey's room, perhaps.
2: I'm saying sit back down at the table.
1: Yeah, that room skeeves me out. <laughs>
2: I figured it would.
1: So you sit down at the table, um, in the corner. Uh, you're brought coffee, some light food and you're able to tell each other what you've discovered.
0: I'm sorry I had to leave you, but Jeffrey was in a terrible way. I brought him to the hospital, and they don't know what's going on with him. Uh, I was able to talk to the doctor there, and he told me of a similar case, and this is where it gets even stranger, I'm afraid. He told me of a Betty Waring 100 years ago with similar symptoms. No pulse to be found in an awful way. And jumped out of a third story window at the hospital after escaping her shackles. They never recovered a body. I fear Jeffrey's in for the same fate.
2: I'm going to put my hand on his hand in a in a show of comfort.
0: Check and I balls. immediately check your balls. <laughs> <laughs> it's there, right?
1: I mean, tell me it's there. Yeah, I know you're good. Okay. Your skin does feel slightly cold. What? Just a little, just maybe it's a cold in the air. Oh, clammy.
0: Come on. I'm going to open my doctor's bag and I need to get a temperature
1: on her. Okay. Bend over. (laughs) (laughs) Your temperature seems fine.
2: So I'm flustered by everything that just happened. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, also understand that he's freaking out about his our brother.
0: Does that make you want to roll a stability?
2: So, yeah, let's, let's check that. Yeah. I got a six. This is fine. Everything's fine. I'm just going to sit over here and drink my tea in the flaming house.
0: Which um, is good, because I don't want to know what happened with you, Rosa. Because <laughs> it would only make me lose my stability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're um, going to tell me anyway.
2: I went to the library and, and looked into the fate of Low manesty, and there was actually two Low Manistees there's this Manistee, there's Low Manistee, and then there's Lower Manistee. Both of the other ones were destroyed. Uh, the first one, I th- I think, must have been some kind of natural disaster because all the buildings were just torn apart. And Low Manistee had a rash of deaths, so perhaps a plague. I guess not much to say, and I'm not sure if I feel better or worse about that, to be honest.
1: So then you hear, Low manesty. <laughs> So this drunken smelly man from earlier saunters over to your table and sits down, puts out a dirty hand, says, "Eugene, nice to meet you." Ma'am, and he kind of nods to you, Rosa. Eugene, that's
0: a very interesting watch you have there. May I see your wrist?
1: Oh, this little thing, sure, but uh, it's a little scuffed. I hope you don't mind. Pulse checked. <laughs> Pulse checked. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's hale and hearty. Great, great. It's a, little, it's a little fast because his blood is thin from all the alcohol.
2: The librarian told me about you. She said you might know more.
1: Oh, my dad was always a tall tale teller. He talked about low Manesty. It was destroyed brick by brick, he said, and everyone in it died. And people moved back anyway. He said it was the stupidest thing you could do, especially considering what happened to lower Manesty which is also destroyed brick by brick. And here we are in Manesty. Well, how long do you think it'll be, he used to say, until they build an upper Manistee? And he laughs, <laughs> and pounds the table. <laughs> uh,
0: that Manistee fell over, sank into the swamp, and then burned <laughs> exactly. down. But this Manistee...
1: Staying up! <laughs> yes, we are truly a role-playing game podcast now. <laughs> we reference referenced Holy Grail. <laughs> So Eugene says, oh, I used to go in the ruins all the time as a boy and pick around. All kinds of strange things you find in there. Bits of, bits of bones, don't you know? And, and some you know, Sometimes you find a bit of gold here and there. <laughs> I felt like, felt like a pirate, you know? <laughs> he gets very serious. But of course, it's a place of the dead. We must be somber and respectful.
0: You couldn't point us in the direction of these ruins, could you?
1: Because, well, you know, if the price is right, I could take it there myself. <laughs> I can give you a real local tour.
2: <laughs> I will go to the bar and pay for the gentleman's next three drinks for when we return.
1: Oh, very generous, very generous. Well, Please, if if you're just warm enough, follow me. So he takes you to ruins. Um, It looks like this place was completely destroyed. Not just like, oh, some of the buildings are knocked down and whatnot. Does any of you have an architecture?
0: Oh, oh,
2: oh, it's me, it's me.
1: Rosa, you've been on some archaeological digs and you've you've unearthed foundations and you looked around places that were but are no longer. And you're familiar with the way structures can fail and fall. But this is peculiar. These ruins, the buildings are scattered as if by an earthquake. But there's so many bricks that were just split in half. You see Eugene go, yeah, take this out. He tosses a rock. You notice it's actually a brick. I swear the marks on the brick where it was split in half. Our teeth marks. I'm going to hold it up to Michael.
0: Because I know because of my medicine?
1: Yeah. And you can confirm you have no idea what these are from. You would say they look humanoid, but there's too many of them. Like as if there's rows upon rows of them. And then you look around and you start noticing a pattern in these bricks. They're all like that.
2: Eugene, what, what do they say happened to this town?
1: <laughs> oh, it depends who you ask, my dear. It depends who you ask. Some people the smart ones, they'll just tell you it's an earthquake. Some people say, oh, it's an Indian attack. But if you think this is great, wait till you come see lower Manistee. And he grabs you by the hand and leads you steadily down towards the shore. He goes, all right, I know you're fancy folks, but come on down here. And he leads you to this little, I mean, if anything of these buildings can be said to be standing still, um, it's a little slow corner. And he kind of scoops away at the sand. He goes, I used to come in here look at these all the time as a kid. And he's scooping away at the sand, he's scooping away. And he unveils this little cluster of bricks that someone has reassembled. It looks like uh, it's a pattern of scratches and it looks like a sketch. And you piece it together and it picks a humanoid figure with worm like arms and legs climbing from the soil. Yeah, go ahead and give me a stability check. I got a four. Yeah, you're good to go.
2: Like, oh, she must have heard this story before. This is fine.
0: I've generaled one. I suppose I have to. Yeah. Three.
1: All right, you're losing three more, my friend.
2: (laughs) So if he's at negative three, what does that mean?
1: Negative six. six, And you are officially blasted. You're flavor (laughs) blasted. So what does it mean to be blasted? You suffer as shaken. You also permanently lose one point of stability. You are reduced to a gibbering mess. You really can't do anything else until you rest for a while. You could also try to act within a drive. So what's your drive that you have on your character sheet?
0: Thirst for knowledge.
1: I think you've been following that along pretty well so far. You've been trying to learn things about this. So this is not charity. Uh, I'm going to give you a two point bonus to your stability. So I think you're at negative four currently. Because all of these horrible discoveries have been in pursuit of knowledge. It was these beasties. They don't like us on this land. They'll come back to clean us off every now and then. (laughs) Well, it's cold, and I'm so wearing up, and I hate it. So let's get back. What do you say? As a lady,
2: I have to get my own room because I can't share a room right. with a man.
1: Who's your brother?
2: It's still weird for me. Listen, we're barely at hand-holding. We can't share our bed.
1: So you notice there's a bunch of people in the hotel dancing to Static?
0: Oh, this must be the new Cole Porter song.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, now you're catching it, on. Ada goes, what, you guys don't like Fred Astaire? Why don't you come and dance for a while? It's cheek to cheek. You guys don't like cheek to cheek?
2: I'm going to try to dance, but I can't really follow the beat because I can't hear it.
1: So Ada goes, I, I think I think maybe you should just lie down. You're embarrassing yourself, please. <laughs> so she sells you a room. Uh, Richard, cool. are you staying in Jeffrey's room?
0: I have no other option, yes. I'm going to stay in Jeffrey's room.
1: Alrighty.
2: You can get another room. Yeah, but it's I mean, to... think you're weird for it, but it's an option.
0: Besides the stents of death, he's got a nice robe.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this time I've got the Murphy bed.
1: So Richard, I think you collapse into a completely dreamless sleep. Rosa, you sleep fitfully. You have a smile on your face in your dream and you're laughing. Your hair is blowing in a breeze. And people around you are smiling. Unlike earlier tonight, you're dancing. You're dancing in a big stone circle. Your movements are strange. You hold your arms out to the side, and you're leaping and whirling. The dance is complicated, and yet, without thinking, you execute the steps perfectly, your body moving more on instincts than on any training. It's as if you were born with this dance. In the middle of the circle, you see a figure. It's Michael, he's holding the knife you saw earlier, gleaming, gold and green, pink. He's holding it above a human sacrifice, it's Jeffrey. He slits his throat. Cuts his back. Cuts his calves. He rolls into the deep pit in front of him. Yes. This is good. You wake up.
2: Well, that sucks. Now it's my turn to be downstairs first.
0: Yeah, but I think you're pretty shook. Maybe you want to roll a stability check, Jenny. Oh, absolutely, she does.
2: Yeah. I got a one.
1: You lose three stability. Zero. Okay. I think that you have an itch. You keep itching where you saw the man being cut on your neck and on your back and on the back of your legs. The skin isn't feeling quite right there anymore.
2: That sounds terrible awesome.
1: You wake up and you hear what sounds like music.
2: Okay, I'm going to get up and look for the music.
1: Michael, you also hear this music and it wakes you up out of your sleep. Since late at night. It's maybe two hours before dawn.
0: Is it music or the static we've become to know his music
1: it's music it's beautiful music not anything in the top 40 though it's drums and some kind of singing i suppose you'd call it pipes you would just you have to follow it it's coming from the direction of the old farmhouse you're both going to meet in the lobby both hearing this music is that fair yeah fair.
2: well first in. i imagine i'm going to walk up to him and like hold like both his hands like at the forearms do you know what i mean yeah do you hear it?
0: Yes, I, I heard it. It, it. it woke me. I It seems like it's coming from the schoolhouse, right? It's music, though. Actual music.
2: And we haven't actually talked about the fact that we haven't been hearing music at this point.
0: I mean, the same with you, right? Like I've just been hearing static. I thought I was going insane.
2: No, me too. We have to find it.
1: You trace the noise down the long road. To the old schoolhouse, and as you approach, the tune grows more insistent, the rhythm pounding and the pitch writhing. It is like the heartbeat of a dying man. From the school gates, you see Eliza and Bethany dancing in the schoolyard. It is the dance you dreamed about. With intense focus and skill, they hold their arms outstretched, leaping and whirling in bizarre patterns. They dance around the dark shape on the ground it's a pig eugene's missing pigs you get closer you're not noticed by the girls the girls have cut the throat and the shoulders and the calves using a stolen bread knife from the kitchen <laughs> now they dance in its blood which spreads in a large dark circle on the grass in the darkness the twins legs and nightdress appear black but now as you grow closer you see that it's congealed blood Beside the twins is a wireless radio, which the girls have carried from their home. It plays static, but in the static, you can hear the music that awoke you.
2: I feel like this is also a sand check, because there's, like, girls dancing in blood. Yeah,
1: give me a stability check.
2: That's the one. I got a three.
1: Five. mission's almost flavor blasted.
2: I'm at negative four.
1: I think you run up and stop the girls. I think you start screaming at them to stop. They do, and they're like, almost like they're shook and awake. And the radio returns to static and the girls start crying. It's not fair. It's not fair. I don't know why it's not working. The dance never works, they say. The thing that never comes back to life like it's supposed to. We tried it on a dog before and it didn't work then either. They're supposed to sink into the ground. And then they're supposed to be alive again, like in the dreams.
2: You have the dreams?
1: And then you see the door fly open to their house and you see Mary appear and she's running down towards you. She says, What is happening? And she sees the girls. You start screaming. She's like, Oh my God. And she gathers them up in the house and she's like, You have to come quick. I don't know what's happening. And she brings them in and out of the blood. And you can hear her say, This has happened again. Again, girls, I told you not to do this.
2: Gonna go with her because she seems to know what is happening. And I do not.
1: So you get back there and, and Mary has rushed the girls into the bathtub and you can hear them crying and complaining she says no you scrub yourself clean I will not have this in my house and she shuts the door and she comes back out and she's very shaken there's blood on her hands and she goes oh no and she starts washing her hands she said they, they said they wouldn't do it again they said they wouldn't do it again
2: Mary what are they trying to do
1: she puts her hands on the, on the edge of the sink and she takes a deep breath and she said they've been having these dreams They've been having these dreams about a dance and they say that when they dance around something that's dead that it comes back or it sinks into the earth and then comes back. And they, last time it was a dog. It was our, our pet dog. And they killed it and they did the same thing. And I told them, this is just a dream. You can't do this. It doesn't work like this. But Jack complained of strange dreams too. And what you saw in the mirror before he'd, he died, he said he didn't like what was looking back at him. He said it was a monster. And then he disappeared. She walks over to the kitchen table and she grabs a box. She goes, "Here, I found this. I thought of this. It's in, it was in the attic. It was his. And The mentions of the maiden house, this, this little place up in the up on the hills where he used to visit by himself. We're leaving this place. We're going to bring him into the city, and they're going to get help. They're going to get help. I don't care. They have to be locked up. They're going to get help. This isn't right. And You shouldn't come back here." And she looks. She goes, "I know." This is your family home, but you shouldn't come back here. Have enough sense to know that it's a lost cause. And she goes back into the bathroom with the girls and she slams the door.
2: I'm gonna Maybe. look in the
1: box. It's a map with a location marked for the maiden house, and it's in between the town of Manistee and a place that looks like a stone circle on a hill. The other things in the box are the like books on on occult lore and that sort of thing, you know, the huge.
2: i I'm, I'm I'm gonna read that. I'm a nerd. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a book on something called The Great Cycle. Uh, one volume in this box is them folklore covering the Great Cycle. It lasts just over a century. And every time the cycle comes around, the monsters rise up from the ground. They tear down the human towns. You see there's little scratched notes on the side in your father's handwriting. It says they destroyed Low Manesty, destroyed the town before that. And soon they will rise again to destroy Manesty itself. Are you going to go to the circle or are you going to go to that house on the hill? The, they're equidistant so the house is in between Manistee and the circle
2: well let's go to the house first then
1: yeah I imagine you're just like we're going now alright because you're both like you're holding on to the very tiniest threads of, <laughs> yeah. of like functionality at this point so on the other side of this several hills you walk through the moonlight so I remind you it's like 3 in the morning you see the sun rising there's no road to what is marked on the map as maiden house nor footpath you just trek across open land you eventually come up on this small shack, really. It's two stories. It looks like it's ready to fall over any time. The windows are shuttered, but the door is unlocked. You walk in, and inside there's a smell of dust, wood, and something else. The scent of bile and soil. The floorboards creak deafeningly loud in the stillness. If you didn't know better, you'd say this was where your father spent his final days. Papers and books are scattered everywhere a mad collection of sketches and scribbling and quasi-scientific diagrams. There's a portable gas cooker. A mirror hangs on the wall, scratched out where the face should be.
2: I'm going to say I'm going to drop to my knees and start scouring through the chaos.
1: There's there's also a ladder leading to the second floor.
0: I'll go upstairs and investigate.
1: So on the upper floor, there are two rooms. To the left, there's a box room containing crates and kitchen utensils, scrap paper, clothes, etc. To the right, Is a bedroom. On the windowsill in the bedroom, you see a knife. It's pink and green. Gold. Wickedly curved. It seems familiar to you, Michael. Alright, then I have to grab the knife. And I think at that point, you make it back downstairs.
0: Rosa, Rosa, look what I found! Look what I found! It's a knife! Look at this! And I'm like waving in your face.
2: (laughs) I'm gonna do a stability check. Yeah. I got a five.
1: Oh, good. You definitely recognize this knife. This is the knife from your dreams. You don't recognize using any of your skills what civilization this could have come from. The design is way too modern or advanced for any ancient people to have made this thing as far as you could tell. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's a thing out of time though. Where did this come from? Who had made this? What is it made of? And then you begin reading. The paper is gathered in your hands.
2: Did they tell me things about the knife?
1: They don't. They tell you a lot of things. You see that Jack has drawn many monsters, which look like humans in some pictures, maybe himself, or at least what he believes himself to be. However, you notice a darkness at the bottom of each one. Before you thought it was mere shading, but you wonder now whether it's significant. It looks like a large creature that's spawning worm-like monsters, some impossibly large thing, birthing out these worm men. And it's about that time that the radio in this room kicks on.
2: Is it static or music?
1: It's neither, it's a voice. And it says, Rosa, Michael, I've missed you so. And soon Jeffrey will be here too. He will join us soon when your mother took you from me i did not worry because i knew you would be back and here you are my children so i'm going to make you both roll stability check five. One. Oh, one and a five all right sir so richard you don't lose any stability jenna you lose seven stability <laughs> oh,
2: well, what
1: does that put you down to?
2: I'm at negative 11. Negative 11?
1: I have great news.
2: I'm irrevocably crazy?
1: You're irrevocably <laughs> crazy. I'm so, just going to
2: start screaming and cover my ears. Yep. Ongoing screaming.
1: If yep, you scream, you try to drown out the static in the voice. And through the screaming, clear as bell, you hear shh, shh. And you remember this sound. This is a sound that your father used to do as he touched your hair and patted your back to comfort you and a toddler when you had a bad dream. And in that sound, you know that he loves you. And he wants nothing more than for you to return to him with your brother. Now you have the knife and you've seen the dance and you know what you have to do.
2: I drop my hands from my ears. I start laughing.
1: You hear, good girl. Michael, you hear, good girl. Now, Jeffrey is Ready. He is, and it struggles for the word, ripe, just as you will be, my son. Soon, go and fetch your brother from the hospital. Bring him to the, the dancing place. The girls will be there already.
2: We'll pick up the knife, and just head out the door like Well, obviously.
1: Michael, what are you doing?
0: No, I think I'm pleading with Rosa to get the hell out of here.
2: But Father said, Michael.
0: No, you're holding a knife. We're talking about dead bodies, disembodied voices. We're getting the hell out of here. This is getting too strange for me.
1: So you hear music again coming from the radio, coming from the ground beneath the radio, coming from the hill. It's calling you.
2: Dance with me, Michael. <laughs> I, uh, and I... I grab his one hand, because I assume I have the knife in the other hand, mm-hmm. and and start to dance.
1: Jenna, you feel no pulse.
2: Is he ripe? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, Do you tell him this?
2: Michael, Michael, it's time. We can go now.
0: <laughs> I want to use my athletics.
2: You're going to knock me out?
0: Yeah. It'd be scuffling. Which is a six. Yeah. So I I need to scuffle with her, try to get the knife out of her hand, subdue her if I have to knock her out, so be it, and literally
1: drag her out of there. So Jenna, do you have scuffling or athletics on your character sheet?
2: I do not have either.
1: So you can roll a a d6 and Richard you can roll and spend.
0: See, if I use all my scuffling now if I gotta fight a a Dracula or something, I won't have enough. (laughs) later. That's true. So I will spend three. All right. And
1: then roll. God damn I rolled a six. <laughs> so you have a nine. You can't beat that. So.
2: Yeah, I got a three anyway. So before he even rolled, he had already won. Oh, I, I do it
0: gently because I don't want to hit a woman. I, I bulked yeah. that There
1: you go. And you hear your father's voice say, Jeffrey's already on his way to the circle. I don't know why you're fighting this. I want you to claim your birthright, boy. Join us. I know you felt it. The soil. I know you've swam in it in your dreams. Dig the hole. Free your brother. Don't let this gift be wasted.
0: Uh, Using my athletics, I put her up on my shoulders and I run the hell out of there.
1: You're out of there. Where
0: are you going? Uh, I'm going to have to try to Meet Jeffrey somewhere on the path and dissuade him from the altar. How long am I
2: gonna be knocked out for?
1: A minute or so. You find Jeffrey fairly easily. He's his skin is like sluicing off of him at this point. It looks like a, a bad costume. And he's running towards the hill. You see him clear as day, well, clear as moonlight anyway. And he sees you and goes, Brother, it's time, please, to the hill. Have you the knife?
2: Probably not picking up with a better call.
1: Yeah, I
0: don't want I don't want to be anywhere near that thing. It looks spooky.
1: So he he's like, join me, please. And he runs he's trying to run up to the hill. Jeffrey, no, this is crazy. We we
0: have to go. I've got our sister. We need to get the heck out of here right now. I don't care what you're hearing. Let's go. We can find a cure for you when we get back to New York. You're coming with us right now.
1: You don't understand. If I don't get into the ground, if you don't cut me with that bleed, I'll die. You have to help, please. And you can see he's desperate now. He, he sees onto his knees and says, Brother, I've never asked you for a thing, but I need this now, please. Let me join Father. And then soon you'll join us. Look, the twins are waiting already. And you can see up on the hill in the circle, there's two little girls and they're dancing. I'm and awake starting... now. Great,
0: so now I'm out number two to one. And crazy. now I'm going to
2: start kicking and hitting him.
1: Jeffrey turns from you and starts running up the hill. He says, sister, the knife, please. Okay. Now you can see bits of his skin dropping off as he's running. I think you have fleeing, don't you?
2: Yeah, I do, but I mean, will that get me off of him? I would
1: say, so he can always try to contest it with athletics. So it'd be a fleeing versus athletics roll. You can both spend.
2: Okay. I'm gonna say I'm gonna spend two.
1: So it's a d6, and whatever you want to add to that.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna add a five. <laughs> All right. I do not want this
1: to happen. Yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, ten. All right, and you got a what, Jen?
2: I got a four.
1: You make a beeline, but he's just too strong.
0: I'm literally yeah. grabbing her by her ankles as she's crawling right. on the grass trying to get
1: away from me. And you see Jeffrey reach the top of the hill. The twins are dancing.
2: You're going to make him dead, Michael. You're going to kill him.
1: You see Jeffrey raise his arms and lie down prone in the middle of the circle, and he's not moving.
2: Can I... Use my preparedness. Well, actually, I had had the foresight before too. Yep. Neat.
1: <laughs> you have to spend it, and if you try to get some big weird thing, it's going to be a pretty big spend. And then you should justify whatever it is fictionally as to why you would have it. Four. Okay.
2: And I rolled a three.
1: So you have a total of seven. So you've succeeded.
2: When I heard the music before I left. I took the Derringer out of my handbag and put it in the pocket <laughs> of my robe. So I am going to roll over, point it at him, and tell him that I need to save our brother, and then I'll save him too. And then I'm going to fire.
1: Oh, damn. Okay. You shoot me? Yep.
2: I'm crazy. I am nearly irrevocably crazy.
1: The Derringer in the book has two shots, and, and the old, those style pistols, you could squeeze both triggers at the same time. Because you've got a top barrel and a bottom barrel. Uh-huh. Are you squeezing them both at the same time or just one?
2: No, I only need one.
1: All right, so it's a four to hit. You're not wearing any kind of ablative armor there, Michael, so roll damage. Six. Six and roll again. Five. You take 11 health damage there. Uh, all right, so now negative one health. You're free now there, Rosa. What are you doing?
2: I'm getting the knife. I got shit right. to do on that hill.
1: She runs back, and I think she gets a, a good jump on you, given that you've been shot there, Michael. You hear the music in the radio saying, good, good, yes, yes, free your brother. The time is now. Okay, so I'm going to scoop up the knife. And what are you doing now, Michael? You've recovered a bit. Your sister's taking across the hills with a knife in her hands, heading toward your brother.
0: I feel like I should chase, but I also feel like I just might want to get the fuck out. Yeah, but I feel like I'd want to save my brother at all costs. And she's already spent her weapon.
1: You spent a lot of it. Yeah, it rolls, Yeah, she hasn't reloaded that at all, so yes.
0: Because I have a, a six for knowledge of firearms. Yep. So I'm saying I know that she's out of bullets.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense to me.
0: I, I have to follow.
1: I think weekly you're running up. Yeah. And if you want to get there fast, you can do an th- athletics check. But if not, you're going to get there after she does. The girls on the hill notice that you haven't brought a shovel or anything. So they're scraping at the dirt with their fingers... Trying to get a spot for Jeffrey to roll into, touch the dirt himself. Rosa, you reach the top of the hill, ecstatic. This is the time. This is what you've been missing in your life.
2: And I take my hair down so that it blows like in the dream.
1: Beautiful. All of that feeling of ennui, of not belonging, of it's gone now. You are exultant. This is what you were doing. And one day it will be your turn to follow. You lean down, you feel your newfound brother's hair in your hands. The loose skin of the scalp pulls back sickeningly, strangely in your hand. You draw the curved blade across his neck. It splits like overripe melon. It spills a black kicker onto the earth. You make an X on his shoulder blades and on his calves and you see beneath a gray skin segmented writhing like the underside of a caterpillar. The twins begin to dance and call a strange song and you begin to dance as well. At the last moment Michael crests the hill to see his brother, not his brother, this thing inside of his brother, wriggle free. The thing that was Geoffrey crawls from the flesh, finally free of the sickening, damp prison. That costume, and he touches the earth, and you hear inside of both of your heads, good, this is good. And the creature swims into the earth like a shark in water, disappearing in an instant. The soil appears undisturbed. The twins raise their mouths to the sky and in an ululating cry, scream into the moon. Michael, roll me one last stability check. Two. Because Jeffrey was one of your pillars of stability, you lose eight stability points. Negative 12. You know now, in this moment, that all your struggles were vain. And in fact, you realize that the wound in your shoulder isn't bleeding, it's just sort of leaking a thin ichor. And you smile because soon you know that you will be ripe. And how blessed are you to have your sister there, to transition you when it's time. You smile, you raise your mouth up to the sky and join the voice of your father, of your brother, of your sisters and half sisters, and all of those that came before you, all the wearings, and you shriek the call of your family. It echoes throughout the hill. And in the distance, the ground rumbles, the lights flicker out in menesty. The stars are right. So yeah, that was Trailer Cthulhu, The Dance in the Blood by Graham Walmsley. Uh, I hope you both had a lot of fun. I did. I shot Richard. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Uh, Richard and Jenna, you guys are excellent. You guys are amazing. How do you feel? Deeply Transly disturbed. <laughs> I don't think anything sums up the experience of Trailer Cthulhu better than that. I, I love this this one. This was a really solid session. Really good adventure. I'll provide where to find this adventure in the show notes so that you can get your own copy of that and support this excellent, excellent author. He's written a lot of stuff for this game, and it's all aces. Uh, Graham Walmsley, if you're listening to this, I love you. And I mean that. If you want to support the Pot of Blunders, please consider heading to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pot of blunders, all one word. We've got membership levels ranging from $1 to $10 a month, which will get you access to things like our Discord, exclusive episodes of Jumping the Street Sharks, as well as a variety of other perks. You can also support the show and help us bring more attention to amazing indie authors by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate any help you can give. We love hearing from you. You can always find us on Twitter at Pot of Blunders, and you can also reach us via email at potofblunders at gmail.com. Want more reviews, interviews, actual plays? Head to potofblunders.com and learn about even more amazing indie games. Thanks for listening. For the pot of blunders, I'm Nate Magnuski, and as always, may all your D's be 12s.